This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. When you are there in the sideline and you see the quality, they had the personality, the charisma, the, you know, I play this. They, it looks like they play these games like a friendly game in the terms they play a thousand million times this kind of events. And for us, I think we suffer a little bit, a little bit, uh, you know, the, the pressure. To, to play to play with the result and what we have to do. But in the second half, I think it helped us to, to play with the wingers more wider. And in, in one minute, we had two chances. And I think we show uh, for ourselves what we want to do. And we show to the opponent as well what we want to do. We, we don't come to defend 1-1 one, one, and we go to score a goal. And we create a lot, enough chances, you know, to score more goals. Unfortunately, we cannot do it. I think Courtois again making incredible safers. And uh, but I think it's what more than deserves to, to win the next stage. On the ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9. An overjoyed Pep Guardiola after Man City disposed of Zinedine Zidane's Real Madrid. On the ball with me, Ross, on a Monday evening with my very special guests, Bob Holmes. Hello, Bob. Hi, everybody. Uh, Craig Marias is here. Hi guys, how are you right. doing? All right, Craig. And Kishnan as well. Hi, Kish. Hello, hello. It's, I, I would hate to be Rafael Varane at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know Kish has had a full-on sporting weekend. He's watched everything. And, and we've got so much football to talk about, guys. Let's start with that Champions League and Rafael Varane's team. Uh, Man City 2, Real Madrid 1. City win 4-2 on aggregate. They finished the job they started back in February, Bob, and they were very impressive, weren't they? Yeah, they were. A thoroughly deserved win. Um, and uh, I don't think anyone can complain about that whatsoever. Uh, just a pity there weren't any fans there, because it really was a, a pep masterclass, wasn't it? And it was in a, in a slightly different way. I think we saw the pressing side more than the passing side because Real Madrid had quite a bit of possession, more than usual for opponents of City. But the pressing, and as exemplified by that first goal, I mean, uh, Jesus chasing down and harrying Varane into a mistake and, uh, and then setting up Sterling. And the second one also owed something to pressing. Yeah. More to Varane, but, Again, but Varane. a bit to <laughs> pressing. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, they were all over. They were attacking uh, Real Madrid um, when Real Madrid had the ball. And I don't think Real Madrid were used to that. Um, I mean, they basically strolled to the title, didn't they, in Spain? Yeah. And uh, Eden Hazard was a, a shadow of his Chelsea self. Mm -hmm. Hardly noticed him. Um, whereas at Chelsea, you know, he was always on the ball. He always heard Hazard name being mentioned and at one stage I, I wondered if he'd gone off and I'd fallen asleep <laughs> or something he was innocuous 100, 100 million euros and totally innocuous Yeah. Um, but the only worry I think for City was the goal that Real Madrid scored I think that Achilles heel of City is still central defence mm. uh, they had quite a few guys there but Benzema just stole in amongst them and nodded a simple header from a very good cross um, into the back of the net. And I think that would have been noted by all other opponents. Yeah. And, 
and that is City's weakness. And that's why you can't confidently say they're going to win it. I think they are among the favourites, but I wouldn't put my house on them. Yeah. Rafael Varane, uh, Craig, looked really uncomfortable. Uh, is it because Sergio Ramos was sat in the stands? <laughs> well, I mean... You he know, does you, miss you look his at... partner next to him, doesn't he? Yeah, I think you always will. You know, when you build that kind of chemistry, uh, you played alongside someone for such a long time. Um, you know, you're always going to miss him, especially when you're playing uh, a forward line like Cities. Uh, but then again, when you, you analyse the mistakes and have a, have a closer look at them, I mean, they're, they're almost schoolboy mistakes. I mean, one of the first things you're taught as a kid, um, you know, if, if in doubt, just kick it out. Just, if in doubt, kick it out, you know. I mean, exactly. and, and, you know, I, I know managers and coaches these days love the whole idea of playing it from the back and, and this, that, the other. But, you know, you can do it sometimes, but maybe not all the time. And, and I think you've got to pick and choose your moments. And uh, I think Baran found out the hard way. I mean, even, even when we go back to the second goal, um, you know, it was he misses the first header. You know, that first header. I know he's not facing his goal. I know he's not facing, you know. But he was facing the touchline. He could have just He's facing the it. touchdown. He could just, just header it out or exactly. side foot it out or something like that. Um, but like I said, you know, schoolboy errors, you know. If in doubt, he's not doing it. And the second one just didn't have enough pace on it. Mm. Um, you know, he, did he miss Ramos? I'm sure he did to some extent. But not to the extent where, you know, Sergio Ramos would have, would have helped him out with the goals. Um, I just think they were just childhood, uh, sorry, child, uh, school, school kid errors, um, <laughs> which, which really, which really costs uh, Madrid in this game. Yeah. Actually, um, he might have been relieved. Sorry to cut in, but uh, can you imagine the bollocking he would have got absolutely. from Ramos if he'd been yeah. on the field? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah you're right. Uh, Keish, we, we, saw, we saw another side to Phil Foden, uh, another bow to his tie, if, uh, if, if you like. Um, he, he's, he played as a false nine. He was really, really good, wasn't he? Yeah, and, and judging by the looks of it, um, I, I think um, for the coming season at least, he's going to slot into the David Silva role perfectly. And City are almost just going to feel like they didn't lose a play. I mean, obviously, when someone like Silva go, you feel it. But when you've groomed someone like Phil Foden over the last few years and they've taken their time, they've been really patient with him. They've not rushed him into games. They've not forced him into important big matches uh, for, for without any particular reason. But they've managed him really well. And he seems like uh, like he's ready to take on the mantle of David Silva. But on the other hand, Ross, this was a really matured performance by not just Man City, but essentially a Pep Guardiola side. Mm. Because he has been guilty of, of sort of overthinking or sort of just making unnecessary tweaks um, in games, in one-off games, in, in, in big ties like this before. Not just with City, but even in Bayern Munich. And, and that's why his record in the Champions League knockout stages isn't exactly very great post-Barcelona. The thing is, this time around, it was super mature. And it looked like they targeted Rafael Varane. Now, make no mistakes, I'm a huge fan of Rafael Varane, right? And even just before the game, there were, there were multiple individuals on Twitter going about asking, has there been a player who has been so quietly brilliant like Rafael Varane over the last few years. Um, it's, it's difficult to think of any other names because he has been brilliant for Real Madrid, Rafael Varane. But it almost felt like Pep Guardiola knew that he could be exploited, which not many people would think of. Yeah. Because they just hounded him, Ross. I mean, you look at the way uh, Gabriel Jesus was pressing him. You look at the way everyone else was pressing him. It's, it, it almost felt like they looked at one of the most 
consistent defenders in Real Madrid and that thought that him. he had a mistake in him. Yeah. They thought that he had a mistake in him. And they really pressed him and forced that mistake out of him. And that's, that's the kind of marginal gain that Pep Guardiola is capable of. And it's good to see him pulling it off in a tie of this magnitude. Because usually we've seen him mess this up before. But he's doing it now. And victories like this will set you up for the rest of the campaign. Absolutely. And, and uh, <clears throat> Pep will be extra happy that he will be facing Leon in the quarterfinals. Uh, Leon went to Turin, lost 2-1 to Juve, but advanced on the away goals rule. It was 2-2. Um, <clears throat> it was a Cristiano Ronaldo double. So much has happened after that game. Let's talk about the game first. Um, uh, yeah, well, going into the game, Sarri was under a lot of pressure. Juve basically had to win the Champions League this season because a lot was said about how um, Juve were not dominant. In, it was their least dominant title win for, for ages. But uh, yeah, despite the, the two goals, Bob, from Ronaldo, it just wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for Sarri to keep his job as well. No. Um, yeah, you've got to say that uh, he did win the title in his first season. Um, but uh, not good enough for Juve, is it? No. Um, no, I mean, they never quite clicked, did they? And uh, actually, Ronaldo came on fairly strong after the restart. In the earlier part of the season, he hadn't been that great. Um, I mean, that's a relative statement, of course. I mean, he is a, an all-time great. But he wasn't quite living up to expectations, um, apart from just popping in enough goals to keep the, the critics off his back. Um, so altogether, it hasn't been a fantastic season for Juve, even though they did win the title. Mm. That's the amazing thing. But Ronaldo certainly stepped up to the mark after the restart. Um, we shall miss him in the quarters and the rest of the tournament. Um, but he couldn't carry them through. And uh, I, I mean... You seem to be bending over backwards, not to mention VAR, Ross. Um, <laughs> it, it had a major impact on the game, didn't it? Yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was two wrongly awarded penalties, weren't they? Yeah, well, I mean, you wrongly awarded. What, what is VAR about? <laughs> I mean, it's supposed, it's supposed to get things right, isn't it? <laughs> you know? yeah. um, and it took an age. One was over four minutes, which is even longer than what the Premier League takes I know, sometimes. I know. Um, yeah, yeah. VAR played a then, massive part. And they still get it wrong, you know. I mean, this is the thing. You really do have to question it, don't you? Um, they're not going to shift it. There's no hope of taking it out altogether. But I, I think it's got to be refined. It, the time is just tortuous, isn't it? Waiting around. And it kills the game. I and mean, there's a lot of talk about the drinks breaks killing momentum. In the, in the Premier League mm. since the restart. What about VAR killing momentum? Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we don't, the games that were played without um, any drinks breaks were much better, if you noticed, yeah. since, the, since the, the Champions League has started, since the Premier League finished. No drinks breaks. I mean, I can understand drinks breaks in Qatar in, you know, 40-degree uh, heat, this is Western Europe, and in the, in the evening, you know, it's not that warm. They don't mm. need these interruptions. 
so yeah we're talking about var again um, <laughs> sadly um but it, ha it has been the main topic hasn't yeah, it sadly yeah, yeah. and i think that tells you that tells you um everything that's wrong about it really the fact that we're still going on about it referee felix zwyer made the classic mistake there um craig uh, he thought two wrongs would make one right but but they don't and uh, i mean leon leon through do do they look good for you leon um i wouldn't say they look good no i, I think city would be quite honest. quite pleased with that yeah i mean uh, well juve were quite pleased with that and didn't turn out too well for them um <laughs> But, I mean, if I'm, if I'm looking in the overall competition, uh, I look at the likes of Bayern Munich, which we'll come on to a little bit later. I look at City, you know. I mean, they're going to look at this Leon tie and, and, you know, if, if they do uh, get them like City, um, they, they'll look at them and say, wow, well, you know, we've got no excuses. And they don't. Exactly. Because, you know, even teams like Juve, you know, they'll be kicking themselves. I mean, Juve, Juve's one objective, okay, was to win the Champions League. And that's what they've been gunning for the last or trying to build for the last two, three years. Um, and you felt with the personnel that they've got in, I mean, look at the team that they've built. You know, Delit at the back, you got, you know, Ronaldo signing Ronaldo, you know, your free transfers like Ramsey that that came yeah. in. Um, they've, they've got some real quality. Dybala's there. I mean, he's been there for a while. But, I mean, you've got some real world-class talent there. And, and you know, it's almost like saying to, to, to Man City, like how, how we do with Man City, saying, you know, there's no real excuses for you not to win the Champions League. You know, your squad's fantastic on paper. Um, and was I surprised about Sari sacking? No, because I think one of the main objectives, he knew, you know, I mean, they've won, they've won it nine times, I think, the Serie A title um, uh, in a row, sorry. Um, the one objective that was made clear to him when he took the job was to, you know, have a decent shot at the, uh, at, at the Champions League and, you know, falling to, to Leon. You know, does not exactly instill a lot of confidence. In saying that, should managers be given more time? You know, especially after winning the Serie A title? Of course. Uh, don't get me wrong. And now they've taken a big risk in getting an uh, inexperienced manager, uh, very experienced player, but inexperienced manager uh, in, in Andre Perlo. And uh, let's see how that, that turns out. Yeah. Uh, Keish, Andre Perlo is going to bring at least hair and style to Juventus. <laughs> I mean, you've been seeing all these pictures in, in, in the media of him holding glasses of wine and you're thinking, yeah. all right, yeah. He's got his own vineyard, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I'm not mistaken. A bit, a bit of hair, a bit of style and also, you know, prophetic quotes in the, in the dressing room because honestly, if you have read his biography, it's probably one of the most incredible books I've ever read in my life. It's literally called, I Think... Therefore, I play. And he's got so much of incredible one-liners in the book where he talks about how... Uh, I, I, I don't want to spoil it for you guys, but you guys have to read it. And I, in that sense, I'm looking forward to it because you know you're going to get all this, this incredible off-the-pitch entertainment coming from Andrea Pello. But again, on the pitch, does this make sense? The Maurizio Sarri appointment a year ago, even that a lot of people looked at and said that, are you sure what you're doing? Because Sarri isn't, isn't a Carlo Ancelotti, whereby he comes into the club, he looks at what's available at his disposal, and he builds a strategy based on that team. Mm. That's Carlo Ancelotti. Maurizio Sarri is a guy that has his principles, principles that have taken him from being an, a banker at the age of 40 to where he is at the moment, right? He's not going to abandon it at the age of 60. And 
when they got Mauricio Sarri on board, they looked and said, hey, are you sure this is going to work? And it's not a surprise that they've struggled to, to get Sarri ball going under the team of players that they have. Mm. Bear in mind that the vast majority of the first 11 players yeah. are over the age of 30 as well. And yeah. Sarri's high-intensity style uh, 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 might, might not necessarily suit them. And it's not a surprise to see him gone. But what's surprising for me now is that they've gone for a man without necessarily, again, looking at the long-term strategy here. What, what exactly are they trying to do? Because Pedro is untested. He's, he's obviously got a great CV as a player. He will definitely command respect. But does he have what it takes? And bear in mind, this is not about winning the Serie A because that's a given for Juventus every year. They expect it. But this is about pushing them in the Champions League. Yeah. This is about rebuilding the squad as well. Does Pirlo have what it takes to compete? All right. Well, it'd be super interesting next season to see how Andrea Pirlo gets on at Juventus. So, uh, Man City will take on Lyon in the quarterfinal. We are off for our first break. We'll talk about Chelsea and Leo Messi's Barca next. This match would normally have over 80,000 pairs of eyes trained on it, but now... On the ball on BFM 89.9. And once more, footballers of all racial backgrounds take a knee to express a united opinion that black lives matter. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Bob Craig and Keish here. You can tweet us at BFM Radio. You can follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's TFIF on video. We're looking back at the Champions League last 16 ties. Uh, Bayern Munich beat Chelsea 4-1 on the day, Kish, and it was a 7-1 aggregate win. They quickly made it 5-0 inside 25 minutes. I mean, oh, yeah, it was difficult. It was a big ask for Lampard and Chelsea. And, and you know, you looked at the tie beforehand, you knew he, didn't, he probably wouldn't have had the personnel. To, to take on Bayern anyway. Yeah, I think they, they, they obviously had a lot of injury issues as well. Uh, and, and I think going to the Allianz Arena is not an easy fit with or without fans. It's, it's one of the most uh, difficult places to go and play football. And um, we've seen English teams in the past go there and just get completely thumped. And when you have a 3-0 deficit from the first leg, which, which was at home in, even, I think it just further complicated Chelsea's tie. Uh, what surprised me was that, and I think this is a reflection of Frank Lampard's uh, you know, language itself uh, pre-match, where he was just complaining about the fixtures, he was complaining about how um, going far in the Champions League yeah, campaign too, too, might too just close. hinder his team. In the, and, and you didn't see managers of other teams saying that. You didn't see Pep Guardiola saying stuff like that. Um, and, and I think that was reflected in the players' body language as well. Because of just the way Bayern Munich just ripped into them within the first 20 minutes. I don't think there was... Usually, you'd see teams, when you're up for it, even though there's a, there's a gulf in class, but when you're up for it, the first 20 minutes or so, you will really push to sort of start try and stay in the game. And, and, mm. and you sense that, that, that Chelsea weren't even trying to do that. That it was just the formality that this fixture... Um, and, and, and it didn't take um, long for Bayern to just completely rip into them. And after that, even Bayern themselves didn't need to go at 100%. They were just coasting for the rest of the game. Um, and, and in the end, uh, it was a super comfortable victory. And Frank Lampard will finally get that, 
that space that he needs to prepare for the new season. <laughs> we, we said on Friday, what is he moaning about? Because he's going to get a full month. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Hansi Flick has a lot to do with how, how Bayern are, are resurgent this season. But Bob, Robert Lewandowski, 53 goals in 44 games. That's a strike rate of 82%. That is crazy phenomenal. It's more than that, isn't it? <laughs> per game? It's more than a goal. It's a more than a goal a game. Isn't it, it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess it takes um, into account the chances he's missed as well. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. It doesn't miss many. Um, no, it's a great pity for him. They, um, they're not awarding the uh, Ballon d'Or this year because I think he might get it. Um, I mean, that is phenomenal. And he seems to be getting better with age, doesn't he? Absolutely. Um, I mean, he's, he's tremendous. Um, I mean, I think he's a complete all-rounder. You don't see many strikers who can do everything. Mm. I mean, he's great in the air. He's great with his right foot. His left foot isn't bad either. Uh, you know, he can beat a man. Exactly. Um, for his age, he's still got a bit of pace. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, he's, he's the complete center forward. I use that term deliberately, the old-fashioned term, because I think it striker tends to... You know, you think of a guy just out there on his own, um, you know, waiting for chances to be supplied to him, the modern version of the word. But centre forward is like the complete number nine, yeah. like Alan Shearer yeah, yeah. Uh, sort, of, sort of style. And they're very um, rare these days, aren't they? They are. They are. You don't get many who can yeah. do all that. Um, so w with him, um, you, you've got to make Bayern favourites, I think, for this uh, this title and I think the fact that Germany came back before any other country with the restart of the season has given them an advantage you'll probably see it in the Europa League as well with Bayer Leverkusen mm. um, these these guys are, are battle-hardened again now whereas uh, some are, are still finding their way and uh, I think that'll make a significant difference when they come up against each other it certainly did look like that with Bayern and Chelsea, didn't it? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, Lev uh, Lewandowski, what can you say? Um, I think he's still got another two or three years in him. Uh, I mean, at least, he could, yeah. yeah. Yeah, by the look of it. Yeah. And Bayern have got a lot of really good young players and they've got an experienced guy like that as the talisman. Um, I think they're going to be a, a real force to be reckoned with in, in over the next two or three years. Well, Bayern will take on Barca in the quarterfinals. Barca were 3-1 winners over Napoli. That's a 4-2 aggregate uh, scoreline. They, they, of course, uh, um, Leo Messi again, Craig. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, he's still... running out of words, aren't you, Ross? Exactly. <laughs> what, what, what else can you say about Leo Messi? No, it was, it was absolutely incredible. The goal he scored, I mean... He uh, fell you know, down, he, didn't he? He yeah. fell. <laughs> yeah, he had three three defenders around him. He fell, still managed to get up, had the ball, uh, was in perfect control of it. I mean, I know there's a little few ricochets here and there, but got it onto his left foot and whipped it into the corner. I mean, absolutely fantastic. Um, but I'm still sceptical about this Barcelona side. I still think that they can be got at. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, the favourites that I thought were Bayern Munich and Man City. Um, I, I just don't think Barca are all there. Um, they obviously have the genius of, of Leo Messi to rely on. Um, but defensively, I don't think they're great. You know, if, if uh, 
Merchant scored that goal early yeah, on. Exactly. The chance that he had with his left foot. You know, it could have been a different game. I thought Napoli would probably poor. I think they'll be disappointed in themselves because I think Barcelona were there to be uh, to be had. Um, but you know, I, I, I over the last few years, you know, Barcelona have really disappointed me. And I was having a chat about uh, with this about one of their trainers um, who just left uh, Barcelona last year and is now at Slangor. Um, You know, the, the club has degra- uh, degraded themselves. You know, they used to be a club where, you know, that were based on values and morals and, you know, compared to Real Madrid, who were happy to go out there and splash ridiculous amount of money on, on, on a group of players um, instead of, you know, using the academy products, uh, building the youth. And, and that's what everyone admired about Barcelona. You know, you think about the Pep Guardiola teams, you know, it was built on you know, the La Massa uh, kids that came, that came through. You just don't have it these days at Barcelona anymore. You know, you look at it and, you know, uh, the, the president that's there, he, he's all about, okay, spending over 100 million euros on, on players. If they don't produce within a season, you know, out they go. Yeah. Uh, you know, they caught it, Coutinho for two years. Exactly. You know, gave, gave him one season. And, and look at Griezmann. Bye-bye. Look at how well Griezmann. Griezmann. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the rumours that he, they're trying to offload him to PSG. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it, it's it's crazy, you know, and, and and likewise with the managerial appointments, you know, it just hadn't been right. So, I mean, it might take someone like Xavi to come in there and, and shake it all up again um, as, as he commands that respect of, because of what he's done at the club already. Um, but for me, it, it's a club in, in, in decline, and I say that. Uh, but I just, you know, they're not going to decline much in Spain, let's be honest. But on a European front, um, I just feel that they just don't have that cohesiveness. Um, they, they don't have that fluid football style anymore. Um, and, and like I said, you know, there'll be too many encounters that will be decided uh, for Barcelona by the genius of Leo Messi, I feel. Yeah. Kiki Setien, uh, Kish, you get the feeling he's not won everyone over and he's probably going to be most worried about Mauricio Sarri's sacking. Yeah, well, but I think at this point with, with the condition at, 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 at board level with Barcelona, any manager would walk into that team um, and just struggle to make it work. Honestly, whatever Craig was saying is absolutely spot on. And in fact, this decay has not just been there in the last year or so. Um, Barcelona have not been Mesquite owned club since 2016 yeah. or 2015 or so when they started splashing players, uh, uh, splashing money on, on, on players all around and, and making re- really, really poor uh, boardroom level decisions. Um, there's a lot of politics going on at the top. I mean, very openly talking about Xavi Hernandez while you still have a manager exactly, at the club. Yeah. It, it's, just not, it's just been ridiculous for... And, and, and if you speak to people in, in Barcelona as well, I've got a, a, a mate of mine who, who lives in Barcelona, and he says even fans are done with it. Fans are absolutely exhausted by the, the, the amount of politics at, at boardroom level. And that's, that has played, definitely played a role into how things are being done uh, at, at, at club level as well. When, when you've got a manager who's, who's walking into a squad that just decided to let Arthur go to Juventus yeah. in mm, a 31-year-old player, Miralem <laughs> Pjanic. I mean, don't get me wrong, Pjanic is a wonderful player. But in what world does that move make sense <laughs> yeah. when you're trading a 23-year-old player, one of the, uh, you know, someone who's been super impressive and yeah. consistent for you over the last 18 months or so, and you bring in someone who could walk into the club and just not fit, like yeah. Antoine Griezmann. Like uh, Usman Dembele. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been ridiculous at this point. And I think it, it, managers, it, it's a simple message, right? 
any managers that walk into Barcelona, if things don't go well, don't blame it on yourself. Don't take it personally. Because it's a lot bigger than you. So if you fail at Barcelona, you're not, you're not a bad manager. You just pack yourself, go elsewhere and prove yourself again. Because it's, it's just an absolute mess at the yeah. moment. Brilliant. Okay. Yeah. Makes you realize that Luis Enrique didn't do such a bad job, actually, did he? He didn't. That's the thing. Yeah. He, he didn't. He really <laughs> and uh, it's amazing. Even Valverde. I don't think Valverde yeah. was absolutely poor either. No. Let's not forget, he got sacked while he was top of La Liga. Absolutely. He was top of his Champions League, <laughs> he was top of his Champions League group, <laughs> and he got the boot. So, so you try to win that one. It's amazing that we haven't, it's amazing that we haven't, um, you know, spoken about, you know, the signing of players like Kevin Prince-Boteng, you know, <laughs> Martin Braithwaite. Martin Braithwaite, yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that couldn't even get into the Middlesbrough team when they were in the Champions <laughs> I mean, please explain that one to me. I, it just does not make sense. I think. And, and Barcelona just go nowhere at the moment for me. All right, brilliant stuff. It's, it sets it up nicely. Barca take on the mighty Bayern Munich in the Champions League quarterfinals. We're off for another break. Back right after this. That's it. It's all over. This is a big win. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Has come up with uh, something beyond the ordinary. That is a brilliantly elastic save. This is On the Ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Craig, Keish, and Bob here on a Monday evening to talk football. So much football. There's football every single night this week. So who needs sleep? It is overrated. <laughs> Starting tonight, Monday evening, is the Europa League quarterfinals. Now, the, the, the entire eight, all, all eight teams are in Germany. So, it, it's first time ever. It's going to be a one-off game. Man United, Craig, are playing FC Copenhagen. That's uh, tomorrow, Tuesday morning at 3 a.m. kickoff. This pits Ole Gunnar Solskjaer against his good mate, Sol Barken, they know each other very well. They play together and stuff like that. Um, United flew over on Sunday. What do you think their chances are? Do you think they'll be up for this? Do, do they want this? Uh, they have to be up for it. I mean, it's, you know, it's not the Champions League, but it's close enough. You know, it's as, um, it's as good as the silverware as you're going to get, you know, in Europe. Um, I think uh, with, with United falling short, you know, in the Carabao Cup semi-final, in the FA Cup semi-final. Um, I don't think they were ever going to, you know, they were in contention for the league. Um, but I think this will be something that Ole and, and the players might want to put right. Um, they've been, you know, impressive. They've played the second team for, for pretty much all, all the games so far um, in the Europa League. But now it's interesting to see what Ole goes with. You know, he'll have a big decision to make um, in terms of team selection. Does he go out? Uh, and bring all the big guns back in, you know, your Pogba's, your, uh, your Rashford's, your Martial's, or, or does he stick to your Daniel James's and James Garner's and Scott McTominay's? Um, big, big decisions to be made for him. Uh, but either way, um, either side that he fields, I think, you know, you know, United should be winning this comfortably. The only concern is it's a one-off game. And one-off games are always, you know... It's, you know, you, you talk about the FA Cup and things like that, you know, the magic of the FA Cup. One-off games are always dangerous. Um, you know, it, it could be a draw right up to the last 10 minutes and, you know, a free goal from the corner. And there you go, you're scrambling for the game. So, um, I think United have to approach this, 
you know, um, in a, you know, they, they, they really have to be concentrating uh, from, from, from the get-go. They need to get a few uh, goals, you know, within the first half just to give them that, that bit of comfort. Um, and then hopefully, you know, it's on to the next round. But mm. it won't be an easy game. Copenhagen will be up for it. They know they're not the favourites, uh, but they've got nothing to lose in a one-off game. So they'll be coming at United. Yeah, and, and Copenhagen, Bob, did really well because they overturned a 1-0 uh, first-leg deficit against the Turkish champions, Istanbul. They, they well, ran out 3-0 winners in their game, so 3-1 on aggregate. They, they're in the last eight of a European competition for the first time. You could say there's no pressure on Solbach and, and Copenhagen. No, absolutely not. Um... But there is pressure on uh, Solskjaer and United, um, especially after losing that semi-final to uh, Chelsea. I think that, um, that changes things a little bit. I mean, they're always going to go for this Europa uh, League title. I mean, it's, a, it's silverware, isn't it? It's the second best in Europe. Um, and it's the only one available to them. So they're going to go for it. But they don't want to be getting knocked out of two uh, cup competitions within a couple of weeks of each other, um, one in the semi-final and one in the quarter-final, and especially not to a club like Copenhagen, who, with the best respect in the world, they are not a first-tier or even a second-tier European club, are they? And I think if United were to lose this, there's a danger of the season being reviewed rather differently. Mm. I mean, it's still going to be a success because the main thing of Champions League qualification has been achieved. But to go out rather tamely in two cup competitions within a fortnight would be considered something of a failure and it would tarnish um, some of the good. And I'm saying overwhelmingly he's, he's had a good season, but it would take a little bit of the shine off it. That's what I'm saying, if yeah. they were to lose to Copenhagen. Because you'd always remember that. You know, it would be considered a, a fairly major upset win for Copenhagen if they were to do it. So he's got to be careful. Um, and, okay, he played a few of the second stringers in, uh, in the last game. But uh, I think he's got to pick his best team. Yeah. And I think he's also got to pick Sergio... Uh, Romero in goal um, because he's, he's the, the chosen keeper, isn't he, for the cup competitions. And I think managers, when they muck about with, with this routine, we saw it with Frank Lampard, um, you get into a bit of a tangle yeah. and there's a danger of the, of the guys themselves losing confidence and they're not, they won't trust the manager totally and all that. I don't think David De Gea will be expecting to play in this because he's not the designated keeper mm -hmm. for this competition. Um, so I, I think uh, Solskjaer should resist that temptation if it is a temptation. And, but apart from that, I think he should pick his best team and really go for it. All right, it's a 3 a.m. kickoff on Tuesday morning. Man United against Copenhagen. Also kicking off at three uh, is Inter Milan against Bayer Leverkusen. Kish, um, this game is happening in Dusseldorf. Now, Conte's Inter sort of Getafe in the last 16. Leverkusen had an easy job against Rangers. Um, 
Inter are probably under a bit more pressure. You, you expect Conte is probably expected to win this, don't you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, I think they got away with Getafe uh, in the tie. They weren't exactly impressive, no, bear in mind, uh, Inter Milan in that game. But they got away with Getafe not exactly pushing very hard as well. Uh, it, was a, it, it was a comfortable 2-0 win in the end. But this one will be a completely different story. And there's already a lot of pressure on uh, Antonio Conte's uh, shoulders. Um, the, you know, critics are saying that, well, the board have always given him what he wants. Um, but, for example, one signing that hasn't exactly... Uh, I know he scored against Getafe the other day, but Christian Eriksen yeah. hasn't uh, exactly embedded himself into this Inter Milan uh, first eleven just yet. He's still... Uh, Conte is still struggling to find a space for him um, in, in that midfield. Um, and how they're trying to make it work. They, they, there's good news in the fact that Alexis Sanchez uh, obviously is now Diaz completely. Um, but it'll, it, it's re, it, it'll remain to see how Conte lines his team up. Obviously, you, you'd expect that back three. Uh, and, and, and Ashley Young has been pretty good as well. But it's just a matter of getting that consistency on the pitch. Because they've had games where they've looked good. But then they've had games where they've really, really struggled. Especially in the Serie A against bigger oppositions. They get easily exposed at the back. Uh, they get easily undone in midfield. And then there are games where Romelu Lukaku looks like a complete world-beater. And then there are other games where he just fades in and out. We've seen it with Man United and, and I think Inter fans, bits and parts of it, they're seeing it with Inter Milan as well. And I don't think this will be a clear-cut game for them at all because Bayer Leverkusen have all the you know, firepower that they have uh, up front. And it, it, they're playing in Germany as well. And like it or not, that gives them a bit of an edge. Um, and, and ultimately, if they do expose Inter Milan at the back, they, they, stand, they stand a huge opportunity of um, you know, possibly knocking them out, given that it's a one-off tie as well. For Inter Milan, it, the silverware, that's the only thing that will be playing in the back of the heads. They were supposed to push Juventus all the way. Yeah. It didn't happen in the Serie A. And now they have got to compensate for it with, with the Europa League at least. All right. Well, they did finish second in Sierra. Peter Boss is the Bayer Leverkusen coach, uh, Craig. He says uh, Leverkusen's playing philosophy is to play attacking football, offensive football, attractive football, and their aim is to score a lot of goals. How much is playing, I say at home, in inverted commas, yeah. in Germany... Uh, is it is it gonna play into their hands a bit more? You think? Um, I, I disagree with Keisha on this. I, I don't think there's any edge to it. You know, any advantage whatsoever. Um, I, I, you know, it would have would have been probably if there were fans there, uh, but absolutely no no advantage. I mean, you can talk about travel time, but I think it's very it's a short flight from from Milan over to uh, to Düsseldorf. So. Um, yeah, in terms of in terms of advantage, I wouldn't say there's one as such, um, but I would say that the pressure uh, would be on on Conte and Inter, like like Kish did say, you know. Um, but Leverkusen are not going to be pushovers. I watched the game against Rangers; um, it, they were fairly comfortable. They weren't great. Havertz was was wasn't a hundred percent. You know, there's it was still rumours of him. Wasn't he in that game? Yeah, yeah, hit the hit the bar. Um, there's still rumours uh, around his. Uh, future and uh, you know it's always difficult you know when you come to this stage of the competition you know you've got to fo focus on this but at the same time you know you, your agent and your club are negotiating with with other clubs um you know and you know there, there might be a part of him with thinking well really don't want to get injured here you know to scupper any chance of a move 
Um, so, so it's a bit of a, a different. I mean, we're, we're in a weird scenario, whichever way you want to look at it, from a player's <laughs> point of view, from a club's point of view, from a sporting point of view. Because um, in an ideal world, this wouldn't, this situation wouldn't be there. You know, I mean, it's the end of the season. He gets to do his deal, and he and he moves on. Um, so, so will that weigh on him? I think so. Um, but you know, I said at the start of the season, and I don't know if you remember, I really like the look of this inter side. You know, and I, I actually put them as one of the favourites for the Champions League. Um, and that that didn't work. That didn't work out too well. Um, uh, I can't see anything but an Inter win here. Um, I, I really do think on paper they've they've got a strong team. I think they had a strong finish to the Serie A season as well. Yeah. Um, where, where when Juventus were really, um, you know, dropped a few points here and there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so I think. Uh, this this will be a good chance for Inter to get some silverware as well, and, and I expect them to qualify for uh, um, against Leverkusen. All right, uh, it's a three a.m. kickoff. Inter against Bayer Leverkusen. The winners of the tie will face either Shakhtar Donetsk or Basel in the semi-finals next Monday. Final break. Then more Europa League action right after this. Lovely football, speed of that little passage of play. Stay on the ball on BFM 89.9. A two-goal lead, a picture for goal, and that should be job done. Stay on the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Craig, Keish and Bob here. We're talking Europa League action. Wolves take on severe uh, on Wednesday, so Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, um, Wolves what started their European campaign against Crusaders from Northern Ireland on the 25th of July 2019. <laughs> Bob Holmes, <laughs> it's, it's a heck of a long tournament. This one, <laughs> yeah, um, and it just might be uh, taking its toll. Um, they petered out a little bit in the um, in the league, didn't they? Um, and uh, they've had a, a mini break since uh, last week, a break of a few days. Um, they welcome that. Uh, I mean, although they're a side that's kind of set up for European football by having a strong defence and a great uh, striker or, or two two really top class forwards. Um, Seville are a team that knows this competition like no other. I mean, they've won it like four times. Even yeah. even Una Emery can manage <laughs> to win this, couldn't he? <laughs> they seem to have their name. It's certainly engraved on the trophy. They, they, the engraver might be just practicing it again this this week. Um, so it's a fascinating contest, uh, this. I don't think there's much to choose between the two teams, actually. Mm. Um, I think uh, a one-off game, anything is possible. Um, I, I would go for Wolves, though, because I think I've got a lot of faith in uh, Nuno. Um, I think he's organized them very, very well. And they are strong at the key points. I think they've got a very good goalkeeper and a very solid defence, and they've got guys who can break through and score. Um, and they've also got Neves, uh, who's one of the best midfield players in the Premier League. So where the, the key positions, they've got very, very good players, and they carry the rest, uh, who are not 
so highly rated, although they've done a very good job this season. Mm. Um, so I would, I would lean towards Wolves um, making this a, an all-EPL uh, uh, semi-final because they, play, they will play United, won't they? Or Copenhagen. Or Copenhagen. Bit of lack of confidence there, Ross. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just putting my uh, presenter's head on. As, you know. Right, right. So, yeah, I, 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 think, I think I'd just about go for Wolves nudging it there with uh, a winner from Jimenez, a Jimenez header from a Triore cross. But Sevilla, Kish, have been very good. Uh, since football restarted in June, they've conceded just five goals in 12 matches. Uh, as Bob mentioned, they, the Europa Cup should be called the Sevilla Cup, really. Yeah. <laughs> the Europa League. Um, but yeah, I mean, this one is not going to be easy. And you, we, we've said Wolves starting to feel it a bit. They've also got a, a UEFA big UEFA fine hanging over their heads, haven't they, for next season? So, yeah, all in all. But your favourite, Connor Cody, is going to have to pull one out of the hat here. Uh, I, I make no mistakes. I, do, I don't think any task is too big for Connor Cody at this point. <laughs> he's, he's an absolute world beater at the back. Come on, Ross. Connor Cody has been absolutely phenomenal. I'll be singing his praises all the way to 2021. I don't care. <laughs> um, I mean, Se Sevilla, I, I, they're obviously, uh, they've got a perennial favorite reputation within, the, within this particular tournament. And I think it, it matters a lot to Julian Lopetegui uh, because of everything that has happened to him over the last two years. Uh, he's obviously, you know, he, he, he was supposed to be the darling of the country walking into the World Cup with the Spanish national team. And ever <laughs> since that controversy erupted, he, it's just gone down the drain for him. Real Madrid didn't work out. And Sevilla was supposed to be that opportunity for him to uh, build his brand back, for him to build his identity and reputation back and restore himself amongst uh, one of the most uh, highly coveted managers in European football. And he has the opportunity to do that with this Europa League. And that's why it matters a lot to him. Because the gap in class in, in, in La Liga is obviously too big for a side like you know, Sevilla to, to go on and push teams like Real Madrid, Barcelona. Ideally, they would want that to happen. But at this point in time, the gulf is still too big. And, and that's why for teams like Sevilla, for teams like Bilbao even, right, they always look at the Europa League as a really good opportunity, not just for the team to get some silverware, but for the managers of these respective teams to, to build their brand as football managers as well. Unai Emery's reputation was hinged upon his Europa League success, mm. right? And, and I think that's what Lopetegui will be looking to do with, with, with the Sevilla side in in Europa League as well. Unfortunately for him, though, he's got Conor Cody to get past. So, you know, it's, <laughs> it's all pretty tricky at the moment. <laughs> it, it is. But, but uh, the workload. I, I, I was reading that Conor Cody has apparently started 56 games this season. Not just him. The, the likes of uh, Raul Jimenez, João Moutinho, Ruben Neves. They've all had similar workloads, Craig. So, it, it will eventually take its toll. I mean, you've got to say, Wolves are probably a little bit wary. Bob said they, they seemed that way in the last few games as well, didn't they? Yeah, for me, um, it's severe. They're, they're going into this as favourites. Um, I, I agree with, you know, I mean, any team that starts their, uh, starts their campaign a year, a year ago is, is going to feel the effects of it. And bear in mind, they don't really have a massive squad to work no. with. I mean, you... Uh, you know, you named, you know, 50-odd appearances for about four players there. Um, and that is due to the fact that they don't rotate their squad much. 
know, where, whether it's the league or, you know, Europa League, it's always a, you know, more or less, you'll get nine out of that 11, that start. <clears throat> so, yeah, <clears throat> sorry. Um, so, so, yeah, um, I just feel that I, I think, you know, they're not robots, the players. Um, they, they were looking wary towards the end of the season. Um, and, you know, that, that bit of spark, you know, I love Nuno as a coach. I do. And I think, that, you know, they've built a fantastic squad. But they were missing that, that little spark. Now, whether those, the two weeks since the Premier League has ended has helped them, you know, and, you know, the players have gone away, you know, for a week or so uh, just to recharge. It could have helped. Um, they, they could have come back refreshed. You know, they're in that pre-season yeah, phase. Yeah. Um, but I just feel that Sevilla, I thought they, they, the victory over Roma uh, last week was, was impressive. Yes. Um, you, know, I, I, you know, I thought that, that kind of made a bit of a statement um, to, to Wolves saying, hey, you know, we're not going to be any pushovers here. Mm. Um, and, I, uh, and I think they'll have the upper hand here. Um, so, yeah, um, Wolves will fall short for me and Sevilla. Sevilla ended their La Liga campaign with a 15-match unbeaten run. Uh, it's a Wednesday, 3 a.m. kickoff, as is the other tie, Shakhtar Donetsk against FC Basel. Now, I'm coming to you, Bob. I, I actually watched Shakhtar's last game. They are great fun to watch. It's, it's watching Brazil playing in, in, in <laughs> <Really>? Europe. <laughs> it's, it's watching Brazil playing in Europe wearing orange. <laughs> another sleepless night for me then uh, <laughs> watching that um well good to hear of course um i haven't um i haven't seen much of them uh i must admit but on paper you would you would say shakhtar because i mean they they're usually in the champions league uh, they often get to the quarterfinal stage um uh, so they've got the pedigree. Basel, um, well, they're there or thereabouts, aren't they? They they always get through. They're the best team in in Switzerland, have been for years. Um, but uh, this one, uh, I think you'd have to go for Shakhtar. Yeah. Um, I, I think the Brazilian flair yeah. will um, will win over uh, any pundit on this one. So. Uh, and they're going to play. Uh, we'll, uh, they're going to play the um, other winners, aren't they? Mm. Um, Inter or uh, Bayer Leverkusen? Leverkusen. Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah. Um, so you you would say Shakhtar are probably dark horses actually mm. for for this competition. Um, they wouldn't be favourites. I think probably um, United and Inter. Would, would be your favourites and, and Sevilla. But um, I, I wouldn't rule out Shakhtar, actually, on a, in a one-off game. I mean, this changes everything, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly, yeah. The fact that this it's 90 minutes, I mean, um, really does make a big difference. And I think you might see some surprises, even in the Champions League as well. Um, because teams are always geared to playing over two legs. And it just yeah. affects how you set up. It affects your your mental process, the whole preparation is going to be different. And if you suddenly fall behind to an early goal, the panic could set in. Whereas if, it, if you've got another game afterwards, it, it's never going to. So, you know, you carry on as normal. So this, um, I mean, they had to do this. They had to make it 90 minutes. Um, there wasn't enough time to uh, play two legs in this comp these competitions. So don't criticize um, UEFA for that at all. And I think it makes a, for an interesting new element 
and it should be even more watchable than it usually is. So I'm looking forward to all these games. Right, that's your Europa League then. Uh, two games on Monday, or rather Tuesday morning. Two games on Wednesday morning. Wolves, Sevilla and Shakhtar versus Basel. Uh, and uh, there are also a couple of Champions League games we, we should mention. Thursday morning, 3 a.m., Atalanta take on PSG. Now, you, I've been watching a lot of PSG training videos, uh, Craig. Um, big, and uh, big, Herrera. Herrera, left foot volley. No, they look like, the important thing out of that was they look like they're having fun. Yeah, um, they, they do. And, and they, you know, I, we spoke about this about City um, and Juventus. You know, there's also an immense pressure on PSG to win this competition. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they absolutely dominate the you know, Ligue 1 in, in France, you know, and have been, you know, since the takeover. Um, I think apart from one season where Monaco <laughs> uh, won it for them, uh, won, won the league. But, you know, I, there, there is an immense pressure. The money that has been spent on that team uh, by the Qatari owners um, is... Yeah, it is ridiculous. I mean, we, we talk about Barcelona and them throwing money away, uh, signing all these players. It, it all started from PSG signing Neymar. You know, I mean, the follow-on effect from that has changed football hmm. and and the uh, inflation of prices and everything like that. So they they've had a big big role to play in, in you know in football as a whole. You know, maybe a little bit indirectly, but you know they they they, they have to blame. So now you come into the Champions League and. They, you, you've got to say, you know, when, when they get Atalanta, you, they're licking their lips, they're fancying their chances. Um, I don't think this is going to be an easy game for them. I really yeah. don't. Um, I think Atalanta have outperformed every expectation, you know, going into the competition. You know, I don't think they were even meant, meant to be in the Champions League, to, you know, for last season. You know, for, for them just getting in there is a remarkable achievement. Yeah. But then, you know, progressing as far as they have, you know, it, it's another one. And it's no fluke. You know, you don't get into the Champions League and progress this far, you know, having a fluke season or, or anything like that. So I, I don't think it'll be as easy, you know, as Bob mentioned, you know, it's one-off games, anything can happen. Um, don't be surprised if you see an upset here. Don't be surprised. I mean, and and, and the sacking to follow as well, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just want to shout out Atalanta, Ross. Um, when the COVID-19 situation hit Italy, Bergamo was the worst yeah. hit region in Italy. Yeah. That's that was the epicenter of the Italian COVID nineteen outbreak, and it's where Atalanta are based in. They have lost fans. They have lost team upper. Uh, what do you call? It? They've lost uh, family members. They've lost uh, relatives. It's a, it's a city. It's a town that has been ravaged by the virus, and it came immediately in the aftermath of that win over Valencia. Exactly. Yeah. In the Champions League. So after that euphoric high. They were then taken into this this incredible depths of 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 you know pain and suffering, and honestly, Ross, what would it mean for the city of Bergamo and the people of Bergamo if Atalanta were to go all the way in the Champions League this year? All it right. would be one of the craziest stories ever, and I'm just sitting here and hoping that happens for for the for world football, but also more importantly for the people of Bergamo. Brilliant stuff. Atlanta against PSG, Thursday, 3 a.m. kickoff. We haven't even got enough time to talk about Leipzig against Atletico Madrid. That's a Friday, 
3 a.m. kickoff. Set you up nicely, we hope, for a week's worth of football. That's it. We're out of here. Most of us will, will return on, on video on Friday, so catch us then. For now, let me say thank you to Craig. Thank you very much, Ross. Thanks to Keish. Cheers, guys. And thanks, Bob Holmes. Thanks, everybody, and enjoy the football. Yeah, have a great week, everybody. Try and get some sleep. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Some people are on the pitch. They think it's all over. Follow BFM Football on Facebook and catch On The Ball on BFM 89.9. It is now. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.